Brian McClanahan Show, episode 371. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, and, of course, you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I do have another course coming out. I've gotten delayed a little bit in it, but it will be out within the next few days, I think. So you want to be at McClanahan Academy, you'll get the email when it comes out. You're going to want it. It's part three of my Southern Cultural and Intellectual History course. So you're going to want to get that one along with part one and two, which I'll also offer discounts on if you're a member of McClanahan Academy when the new class does come out. You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get your Brian McClanahan book played on. If you want my autograph on one of my books, I've got a new book out, Southern Scribblings, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. It's a great way to support the show. Also, go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. It's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, another great website. I teach there with Tom and a whole bunch of other great instructors. So a lot of ways to support the show. And, of course, always share this podcast around on social media. Tell your friends about it. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's the only way to turn this big mess around in Washington, D.C. you got to start from the bottom up. It has to be a grassroots, so to speak, movement of people thinking and acting locally. All right, well, let's talk about the topic of the day. And, of course, you might have expected it to be. It's the vice presidential debates last night. Now, first, a few observations. Number one, this was more in line with a real debate. The first Trump-Biden debate, which there may not be another. If that's the case, I think Trump is doing a great disservice to his campaign by not trying to, <laughs> to have another debate because the first debate was, as everyone saw, a disaster for the Trump campaign. This debate was more of a debate, uh, and I think that uh, from going in, you know, there, there's been several different ways to look at this. I think that generally Americans have made up their mind about who they were going to think did better in this debate. There's a CNN poll out saying that Kamala Harris won the debate, but the, by a margin that was the people going into the same debate said Kamala Harris is going to win the debate. So they already decided that Kamala Harris is going to win. I really don't care for either candidate. Uh, I think that Kamala Harris, and, and I've said this before about Kamala Harris. Now, appar apparently her favorability ratings went up after this debate. I find that hard to believe because her favorability ratings after the Democrat debates went through the, I mean, they just sank to the, to the floor. I mean, th people don't like her as they hear more from her. And I think the Democrat campaign has been trying to hide her for that very reason. She showed that she doesn't know much in the debate. She show, particularly in something that a president needs to be well-versed on, that's foreign policy. She didn't do a good job with that. She just regurgitated Democratic platitudes and talking points. She really doesn't have an idea as to what the president does. And Kamala Harris is an opportunist to, at the highest degree. 
we know that the, uh, the rumors of her ability to get into public life, the way she got there uh, was not necessarily up and up. Uh, and I'm not because it's a family show, I'm not going to get into that. But we know that's all there, that she uh, was doing some things that uh, were not necessarily good things to uh, achieve her positions of power. We know that Kamala Harris is all about power. I mean, look, as a DA, as someone who has come out in authoritarian terms on many different issues, Kamala Harris is a power-hungry politician. This is all she is. She doesn't really care what it takes to get there, which is why I think the Democrats chose her, because they know that even though she called Joe Biden all kinds of names on the stage, that when the opportunity presented itself to be vice president, she was going to jump at it. Stacey Abrams was the same way, and I said all the way back in, I think, March, that the Democrats had to nominate either Stacey, Stacey Abrams or Kamala Harris, or they would have a problem with their base. And there was an answer to a question last night, and Kamala Harris was gushing over the fact, oh my gosh, look at me. Look at all the things I've done. Now I get to be vice presidential candidate, maybe vice president. Oh my gosh, look at how great this is. When you contrast that to what the founding generation thought about these positions, I mean, look how disgusting American politics have gotten. Nobody wanted it. George Washington didn't want to be president. Most of these people didn't want it. They didn't want to be in positions of power. They didn't really like it. They'd rather go home and live, live at home than go be in the cesspool of American politics. They were only chosen because of who they were, not because of the fact they wanted it most of the time. I mean, Washington would have preferred never to leave Mount Vernon after the war was over. So you go from that, you go from this Republican with a lowercase r generation to what we have now and what we're seeing on the stage with all four of these candidates. I would say this, you know, Mike Pence is probably the most polished politician of the four when it comes to presentation on stage. Joe Biden has always been a little bit of a wild card, always a little hothead. Uh, and I think this is what turned people off. And of course, he is a plagiarizer and all the other things that Joe Biden has done. We all know that stuff. And look, the Democrats even hammered him over it back in the 1980s. Joe Biden has never been a very good candidate. If he wasn't in Delaware, he wouldn't have kept winning his seat to the United States Senate. He only had to persuade a few hundred thousand people to get there at the most. So that's why he kept being elected. If he had, had to run in somewhere like Pennsylvania, he never would have run. He never would have won, I should say, in, in Pennsylvania or somewhere like that. He just couldn't pull it off. And this is why he's never been nominated by the Democrats. You know, Joe Biden is the Henry Clay of 2020, the guy that kept, you know, hanging around, hanging around. Well, we're going to give it to him. Or maybe actually the more accurate description of Joe Biden would be the Bob Dole of modern, of, of 2020. You know, Bob Dole hung around, hung around, hung around. Finally, 1996 got around and we'll make Bob Dole the guy. The difference between 1996, though, and 2020 is that Bill Clinton was a very good politician, and he knew how to win campaigns, even if he never got over 50% of the vote. Bill Clinton was much better at campaigning than Donald Trump is, at least in the public eye. Now, I think Donald Trump is very good at rallies and other things and trying to rally the base. I think he does a good job with that. But where people miss Donald Trump, where they don't get him, is when he's in things like a debate and he comes across as a wild card, someone you can't trust, someone you can't uh, really attach to. And I think if you're looking at it as the average American voter, I think that's one of the problems that Donald Trump has, a, a problem with perception. Now, on the other hand, he's very positive, And you hear people that listen to him and actually 
listen to what he has to say. Well, that's, that's a positive statement he's making about these things. He's very encouraging. And I think there's a lot of Trump voters out there, and I've seen some things. I think Trump is underestimated in this election. If you're reading the Drudge Report or some of the other things out there, you know, Trump looks like he's going to lose by 50 points. And he's, he's not even going to get one vote. But I think there's a lot of Trump voters out there who are going to vote for Trump that just aren't saying anything about it yet. So we'll see. We, we know that, uh, we know that uh, this is going to be an, an interesting election in just a little over, uh, just a little under a month, I should say. So let's talk about the debate, though, and uh, some of the things that were brought up. And one thing that people have already asked me about, I've seen it several different times, emails, social media, hey, what did you think about this statement by Kamala Harris on Abraham Lincoln? So I will address that and what she said about that. And I'll talk about the court a little bit as well in some of the history of that. First of all, I think personally that Mike Pence did a better job in this debate of explaining the Republican positions than Donald Trump did. And I also think Pence won the debate. And I think he won the debate because he asked Kamala Harris questions directly that she never would answer. One of the things, of course, was court packing. She wouldn't answer that question. She knows she can't answer that question because the Democrat base, if she says we're not going to do it, would go bananas. And they would go bananas over it because they want to pack the court. They look at it as an opportunity to solidify their control of the general government. She can't answer the question. The other thing she, she didn't answer directly, and this is, gets back to coronavirus. First of all, I must say this about coronavirus. The fact that this whole thing has been politicized is just completely preposterous. Uh, the, you know, look, this is a virus. No government can control a virus. Lockdowns don't control a virus. None of these things control a virus. The only thing these things do is uh, damage your economy and public health at the, in, on the unseen part of it. This is the Bastier position. You know, yeah, we break the window and we got the glass man fixing it, but what's the unseen consequences of this? So we shut down the economy and uh, you shut down society and maybe a few more people don't contract the virus immediately. But we know as soon as you have to open things back up and you have to open things back up, more people are going to get the virus. I mean, it's just it's going to happen. Right. So uh, and this is this is virus is scary. It's a, it can be a dangerous virus. People can die from this thing. Uh, and so we, we want to try to mitigate that as much as possible. But you know what we've done is destroyed public health and destroyed lives over this thing. She won't answer the question, are you going to mandate wearing masks or other things? Or do you want to have a heavy-handed, are you going to shut down the economy? And so it's funny how the Democrats are campaign. well, they shut down the economy. I wish somebody would just say, well, what would you have done at that point? If you were president in February and March, what would you have done differently? Would you have shut down the economy? If you would have shut down the economy, then what the heck are you complaining about right now? If you would have shut down society, then what the heck are you complaining about right now? Would you have closed the border with China? We know Joe Biden said he wouldn't have done that. So that would have allowed more people in with the virus, potentially a lethal situation. We know Joe Biden wouldn't have shut down travel with Europe. We know Joe Biden wouldn't have done any of these things because Joe Biden is on the record of saying it, you see. So the question should be, what would you have done? And if you look at the plan that Joe Biden is presenting for you know, combating the virus, if he wins, and the plan that Trump is following, it's the exact same plan. This is why this is all just stupid. It's all stupid. And I, and I think the Pence and Trump administration and the campaign miss an opportunity. I know Pence said it last night. Look, your plan is just like our plan. He said it. And of course, Harris can't really say anything to that, but it's the exact same thing. 
There's no difference here because it all believes in heavy-handed government action. In fact, what you got on that stage last night was government can solve all problems from both sides. From both sides. Now, there were some things where I thought Pence had a home run. when he Again, he hammered the Democrats over the riots and the looting and everything else has happened. And Kamala Harris doesn't really have a response to that. She can't. She can't have a response to that because they know it's all true. They know that their constituent base has been out acting like a bunch of petulant little children for four years and causing all kinds of property destruction and violence and everything else. That is their base, and they can't denounce it. And they can't sit there with a, with a straight face and say there was no violence. I mean, it was mostly peaceful but fiery protests, right? I mean, this is, this is the stupid stuff that we know that Americans are seeing right through. So they can't do it. And I think Pence did a good job of hammering her over that. Kamala Harris also showed a complete naivety when it comes to foreign policy. When she says, well, let me tell you, her body language knows she knows nothing about foreign policy. She knows nothing about what the executive office is really designed to do, which is handle foreign policy. I have talked to Joe about this, and Joe says it's all about relationships. So if Joe Biden would, would pass away, as he is going to be 78 years old. Average lifespan in America is 78 years. So we know he's at this point on what's presumed to be borrowed time for all of us. I mean, if you just say everybody gets 78 years, well, we know Joe Biden is going to be then on borrowed time. Well, what would President Harris do? And I think that's the key thing. And I know the moderator mentioned this. This one has a little more weight to it because you two, because of the age of the people who are president right now, could be president of the United States very quickly. I mean, we saw this with Mike Pence. I think Mike Pence also missed an opportunity when that question was asked. He didn't, he didn't focus on it. He should have focused on his credentials and what he brings to the table, of course, as a person who has already been vice president for nearly four years. He's been in the security meetings. He has the experience. Kamala Harris has none. None. Zero. And she can sit there and say she's on the Senate Foreign Relations or Foreign Intelligence Committee and she's on the Judiciary, whatever it is. But she has no experience and she showed it. She showed that, uh, I mean, when she, she, when she defined bounty, it shows how stupid her voters really are. The lack of intelligence of her constituents. These people are stupid. And it shows how stupid she really is that she would think that she needs to define that. That that's a big word. Bounty's a big word. Let me define that for my people. Uh, this is where Harris, I think, and first, I mean, just personally, her voice is the most annoying thing you've ever heard. She's terribly annoying. But not just that. Uh, I think Harris showed that she is unqualified for the position in many ways. Uh, the, the authoritarian nature of her persona and the sniping and nastiness, I think it's just, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, look, Tulsi Gabbard ate her lunch, and uh, that put Kamala Harris out of the race. And I think Mike Pence did a pretty good job, not as good as Tulsi Gabbard, but he did a pretty good job of eating her lunch, too, yesterday. And I think that's where uh, I think the Trump campaign did a service. And if you're looking at the social media reactions, of course, people were hammering Trump, uh, hammering uh, Pence for you know, not answering questions directly, and he didn't always answer the questions. And I think he, he didn't uh, do well at that point part. And he did uh, you know, try to drag some of the answers into the next questions. I think that was a problem for Pence. Uh, but I do think his responses were more positive and more focused. Kamala Harris was simply regurgitating talking points in attack. 
And I think American the American public doesn't really like that that much. Now, that said, let's get to Kamala Harris's history lesson when they got into the court. First of all, packing the Supreme Court has been something Congresses have done quite a bit. We have an aversion to it because of King Franklin. Back in 1937, when Franklin Roosevelt was not getting his way, for the New Deal, he wanted to pack the court, and the conservatives in the Senate, Congress, blocked it. They blocked it. Rightfully so. But this doesn't mean this is the only, that's the only time this has happened. It's happened other times. And let's talk about Abraham Lincoln. During the war, the Republicans packed the court. They added a seat. There were 10 seats on the Supreme Court during the war. Not nine, but 10. They reduced that number when the war was over because they didn't want Andrew Johnson to be able to appoint another Supreme Court justice. So they reduced the number, and then they bumped it back up to nine again. They reduced it to eight and then bumped it to nine after Grant became president. So they were playing politics with the court. The Republican Party was back in the 1860s. Kamala Harris, though, made a statement last night that let's talk about history if you want to bring up your hero. and blah, blah. I mean, look, the fact that Abraham Lincoln is anyone's hero when it comes to unifying the country is just completely ridiculous. The man that led the most divisive war in American history that cost a million lives should not be seen as, a, as an example of unity. You want to talk about unity? Then look at George Washington. Other than that, Abraham Lincoln is not a unifier. He was a divider. His rhetoric might have been unifying, but his actions were all about division. Killing somebody is not, look, either going to take my unity or die is not a unifier. So Lincoln, yes, Lincoln uh, did not appoint someone to the court when Chief Justice Tawney died. This happened in 1864, just before the election. And Lincoln didn't make a statement that he was going to hold off until after the election. Not because he was concerned about losing the election. By that point, with 27 days left, let me tell you something. It was a slam dunk that Lincoln was going to be elected. There was no way McClellan was going to win in 64. It wasn't going to happen. Everyone knew it. By, by November of 1864, there was no way Lincoln was losing that election. No way. There was no way McClellan was going to win. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, look, it wasn't the runaway that people think it was. I mean, Lincoln got over, I think, about 54% of the popular vote in 1864, which isn't a huge number, considering that a large percentage of the population didn't vote in the election, and that there was potentially voter fraud for the Republicans in that election. I mean, there was all kinds of things going on here, but certainly it was clear that Lincoln probably wasn't going to lose that election. He wasn't waiting because he wanted to allow George McClellan to appoint a successor. In fact, the Congress wasn't even in session, so there was no point in appointing anyone because they would have had debated. But what he wanted was uh, information from people about who, he, who they think he should have chosen. In fact, one of them was the guy that actually became Chief Justice, Salmon P. Chase. Chase was not a big fan of Abraham Lincoln. And when Chase was potentially going to be the guy, he started campaigning for Lincoln. You see, Lincoln was doing this as a way to keep his coalition together. Nothing more, nothing less. This wasn't about, oh, we're going to let George McClellan decide who's going to be the Supreme Court justice after the election's over. And I think Mitch McConnell had a great speech on this, and I, I shared it on social media. Probably one of the best speeches I've ever heard on this particular topic. When he pointed out, look, over all these years, yes, we've had recess appointments. 
yes, we've done it. And yes, the Senate has, has refused to confirm them uh, very rarely. In the case of the Obama administration, he pointed out this was an extreme favor for the Obama administration. You have a Republican-controlled Senate and a Democrat president. You're asking us to do something that now if, if Hillary Clinton had won, I'm sure that the Senate would have then confirmed Merrick Garland. But Hillary Clinton didn't win, and the Republicans were going to win, so they get to appoint their people. Trump has pointed this out. I wasn't elected president for three years or three and a half years. I was elected president for four years. And in that time, I have the obligation to nominate people when there is a vacancy on the court. We need a fully functioning court. So I'm going to nominate someone. And you know what? We're not going to wait for the election to be over. We're going to have a fully functioning court at all times. We're not going to sit here and have eight justices when we have nine. Now, the Congress could say we're only going to have eight justices. They could decide we're going to reduce this. But if there is a vacancy and the Congress hasn't cut the number of justices to, to eight, the president is obligated to submit a nomination, which he has done. And the Senate then can confirm that nomination or not, which they have the power to do. You see, what's, the, what, what's happening here is that we've got this laser being focused on executive government, and it's dangerous. So Kamala Harris was blowing smoke. She doesn't really know her history. She doesn't understand the context. She doesn't understand any of that. She's counting on the low-information voter to run around and not know what exactly she's talking about. Even the Washington Post ripped her over this. The Washington Post, which is their out—I mean, that's their news organ—ripped her over that statement. I mean, Kamala Harris is a fool. Kamala Harris is not a very not a very bright person. It, it comes across when she speaks. Uh, she's an opportunist and she's power-hungry, and she'll do whatever she can to get power which is why I think everyone should be running away from Kamala Harris to begin with. But this is an opportunity. I think, I think Pence did miss times to zing. I don't think he did as good a job as he needed to do to zing her and hit her hard on some things that she needed to be called out for. Uh, I, I don't think Kamala Harris, I mean, look, her body language is awful. I mean, she, she is not someone that's a very likable person. If she wasn't in California, I don't think Kamala Harris could win an election. She only wins there because of Again, the fact that if you're a Democrat and you can make condensation on glass, you can win in California. So, uh, you know, Pence, I think, did a better job. Not a, not a great job, but a better job. I think he, he won the debate. Uh, it's unfortunate that this is all we have, though, that we just have two candidates on the stage. We know there's other candidates out there. We know there's other people out there that we could have had a serious debate about the issues and other things that are going on. Uh, but... Uh, we, we know that uh, we don't get that in American politics. So uh, that's my thoughts on it. I, I think that uh, you know, the, the Pence did a good job of trying to save the Trump campaign. I think a lot of people, again, there's, I, have, I follow all kinds of people on social media. Uh, the, the, those on the left generally thought Harris won. Those on the right generally thought Pence won. I don't care for either. I'm telling you what I think. I think Pence did a better job. Harris is not a likable candidate either. Uh, and I think that's going to work against her, which again is why she's been in the bunker with Joe Biden this whole time. Uh, still, uh, this is an interesting situation. I think that uh, uh, the I think the Trump campaign needs to keep hammering the Democrats on their potential abuse of power. Though the Republicans are going to do the exact same thing. I think, again, I think Michael Bolden has done a great job pointing out the amount of spending 
the gun uh, gun control or at least um, you know, gun restrictions that the uh, that the Trump administration is engaged in. I mean, look, the Republicans are no saviors. This is why I've said we got to think locally and act locally. We're in a situation where we got to work from the bottom up, and you got to create your local environment the way you like it because you can't rely on the center to do anything. All right, so that's it. Um, for this particular show. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. (laughs) 